so good to have you this morning. Let me call us to worship. You'll see it here, Psalm 68, 4. Come sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Welcome this morning as we get started. I believe uh, we're going to try something special with our children right now. Is that, yeah. So at this time, our children, if you're here and you're prepared to do your memory verse, Miss Stacy is going to bring you up and allow you to share with us again what you've learned. So children, come on up. We want to hear what you have to share with us for those of you who are ready. We may just have one that's going to come up. Come on, we got another. We know the ones who actually know it, don't we? They're ready to run up here and do this. And, and if you want to spread out however you need to. Any volunteers to teach that group next year? <laughs> I tell you, the standard is being raised. Knowing the Bible is so good. It's so good to have you with us, and we're glad that if you're visiting with us, we do have visitor cards that are there in the pew. We would love for you to take the opportunity and fill that out. Let us know that you chose to worship with us, and we'd be glad to follow up and see if we can minister to you any way that we can to help you through the season or any other decision that you have in life. We do have several announcements, and if you're visiting with us, if you don't have a bulletin, please let us know. Someone will help get you one. We follow along not only in the bulletin, but also in the hymn book, and so we want to encourage you to be a part of our worship as well. For the rest of you, you know in the bulletin there are several announcements that you will find on the back page. There are some that I need to share with you, so I will let you read through those, but let me highlight again, it's a busy season, men. The breakfast is this coming Saturday, and Dr. Bill Kerwin, one of our members here, is actually going to be the speaker if all goes well. You'll want to come and, and be a part. It'll be a special time that he'll have to share and, and to uh, be together with you men. So men, this coming Saturday, he'll be doing that. Also, right after service today, it is Nick's birthday. We, we already spanked him and did all those things that he needed. Um, but the truth of it is we wanted to invite you quickly. We're not canceling Sunday school class. We don't want teachers to think that. But right after service... If you want to run downstairs, grab a piece of cake, eat it quickly, fellowship, and then head off to class, uh, we want to invite you just to come down and spend some time. It's the best time when most of us could be together to be able to fellowship and share that as he celebrates his birthday this week. Um, also, we do have a Christmas Eve service. Uh, we've been planning that this week. It'll be patterned after, just like last year. We'll have readings and songs, and uh, it'll be the night before worship, once every seven years. We get to have Christmas on Sunday, 
and so Christmas Eve service will be the Saturday night, and so we're going to have the same format. If you are musically gifted and would like to share and be a part of that service, uh, if there's a way we can fit you in, that's fine, but we'll be following the same format where we'll have readings and songs and readings and songs. Um, so if you would like to participate, Sarah is helping put all that together. Uh, she's rescuing Nick and I. We'll be gone, and I'll be back, but it's that week clear up to that, that Nick will be gone for a wedding, we'll be gone for graduation, and so she's going to help put that together. So if you're interested in being a part, please let us know or contact Sarah, and if there's a way to put that together. But please pre prepare, plan, put it on your calendar uh, the night before Christmas, when all through the house, that's what we're going to be here celebrating the night before. So we invite you to come and be a part as well. But you'll also notice our prayer requests this season, especially we've listed those there. Um, we appreciate those of you who share with us your prayer requests. Uh, we don't have it in there. We have sent it out on the blast. Donald Weber's uh, father, Ralph, did die this past week, which we were expecting, and he's happy to be with the Lord. Um, but that will, funeral will take place in Delaware. So just pray for them. This week is the end of the week. We travel up there to be a part of that service for her, uh, if you'll just pray for her as well. And then also for those of you with silent requests, we know Christmas can be a hard time. Sometimes it's the first Christmas you'll ever spend without children in your home. It'll be the first Christmas you spend without a parent. It may even be the first Christmas you spend without a spouse. And so we realize that many times as we celebrate the excitement of Christmas and families, sometimes we overlook those that it becomes such a hurtful time for them. And so please be attentive to your neighbors, those around you, the people you work with. Um, as you're celebrating and excited about what Christ has done for us and he's come to save us, it may just be the prime opportunity you have to share that love with someone else that they too can realize that all that they have in store for them was not grounded in the one they lost, but in the one who lives forever and is here to love them. And so we encourage you to share that with your neighbor as well. But let's take a moment as we continue on uh, in our service this morning. Let me lead us to the throne of grace. And then if you would pray with me, you'll see that in the hymn book if you need it, the Lord's Prayer. And we'll pray that together. But let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come to your throne this morning, lifting up to you our mediator, the one who intercedes for us and who provides for us. Lord, that you would comfort us as we lift these to you. Lord, for many of our requests, we're giving you our heart's desires. We're praying that things can turn out the way we want them, or that events will happen the way we would plan them, or that the knowledge that you give us would coincide with what we would like to take place. But yet, Lord, as your son prayed, not my will, but thine, Lord, we pray this morning, not our will, but thine, that you would form and fashion in our hearts an obedience to your will, a willingness to submit, a willingness to hear, and then to go forward and share. Lord, in other words, increase our faith. Help us to trust. Lord, we do lift up each of these prayer requests for each of the families that are hurting this morning, especially around the world again, in the war-torn countries, in the families that are being torn apart. Lord, sin affects us all in different ways. If he's not roaring like a lion, then Satan's slithering like a snake to tear things apart. Lord, help us to shut him out of our lives. Let us experience what it means to have the one who is greater in us than the one who is greater in the world. So that this morning we can celebrate, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace together 
and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we shared the Advent calendar and we we're hoping and praying all of our seniors in high school could come and be a part. We, we don't know for sure they all be able to, uh, but this morning we call him E.B. Eli Bedminster is going to come and share with us this second week as we share the candle of peace. As we continue our Advent season and the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, we are drawing closer to the time when we recall Jesus' birth as his second coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. Today, as we relight the candle of hope, we are reminded to trust that Jesus is our only hope. This morning, we also light the candle of peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is our prayer through this season, you will trust that Jesus is our peace. Thanks, Eli. Good job. If you've never had to get up in front of people to read, uh, now's the time to do that. They do a great job. I'm going to ask you to read along with me for a moment as we confess our faith. Uh, we take opportunity to share together not only the catechisms and uh, some of the larger and shorter verses, but also creeds. And so this morning, if you'll see on page 846 in your bulletin, you will see the Nicene Creed, not the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. So uh, I encourage you in just a moment, let's recite together that which was actually put together at the Council of Nicaea 1,700 years ago for those who wanted to share what they truly believed about Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so we too carry on those same truths this many years later. And so if you would recite with me, church, I ask you, what is it that you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, 
and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. It's always amazing that when truth carries over for centuries, we're able to still live by those, be fashioned and formed by those. And one of those opportunities in scriptures is to confess our sins together. We're not confessing them to one another, we're confessing them with one another as we share our shortcomings, sins, our failures and faults together. We all know that it's at the throne of grace that we find forgiveness. And so I invite you to pray with me this corporate confession of sin together in your bulletin. Pray with me. Almighty God, we confess before you that we leave a great outstanding debt. We have failed to love you and our neighbor as you desire us to do. O oh God, even when we have recognized our failings, instead of turning in repentance to the grace of Christ, we turn to ourselves. Instead of remembering our weakness, we foolishly believe that we have the strength. Instead of resting in Christ as our acceptance before you and relying on the Holy Spirit's power at work in us, we trust ourselves and therefore try to gain your grace by our obedience. Forgive our sin, Lord God, through your Son. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions, wash away our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Hear our prayer, O God, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And throughout scriptures, as you read them, you can't hardly turn a page without finding assurance that God reminds us that our salvation is tied not in our works and not in what we've accomplished, but in him. We are secure in his grace. He has forgiven us. And we find in Isaiah 44 where he writes, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. This morning, wherever you are, I encourage you, return. The Lord who has redeemed you wants to welcome you, lead, a guide, and direct you as well. So let's take a moment as we continue. We're going to share together in our offering. Let me pray for that, and I'll ask the ushers if they'll come as we pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are so blessed. Father, we're blessed because we've been able to help others. We're blessed because we've had a ministry that's been able to help feed, to help nurture, and help take care of others who have been unable to do so. Lord, we've been blessed beyond measure and many times forsake those blessings. We find ourselves wasteful. We find ourselves making decisions that are not always wholesome. 
not wise. Lord, forgive us for wasting that which you have given to us to be stewards of. And yet, Lord, we thank you for trusting us, for enabling us to handle those funds to further your kingdom. Lord, we're so thankful that in our church you've blessed us to where we have truly seen your work. We have truly been blessed. Lord, as we give back to you now, please use it. Multiply it in ways we never could. Use it in ways we don't even know how so that your kingdom can expand and your children can be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible, if you've got one, to John chapter 16. John 16, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, it's page 903. And while you're getting there, let me just say a few things. First of all, uh, my birthday is Tuesday, so I've got a few more days in my 30s. So, but it's all right. Secondly, Abigail is homesick today with a fever, so if you would keep her in your prayers. She was excited to be here, but couldn't come today. She was in a play this week at her school and lots of comings and goings and lots of energy, so I think it caught up with her this week. So thank you for keeping her in your prayers. So today we're following the theme of, uh, of the Advent, of peace specifically, and as I thought about different passages, different verses that we could look at together, there's one that stood out to me, and I wanted to have us look at it together. So if you're at John 16, I'm actually going to start in verse 29 for a little bit of context since we're only going to really focus on one verse but let me just read these few verses around it. So this is God's word to us, starting in verse 29 of John chapter 16. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's word. Please join with me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you command us, tell us to depend upon you in everything, we depend upon you now. May your love, your truth, everything that you would have for us today, that would come through clearly. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know I'm a fan of Alistair Begg. I was talking with Jack, Mr. Angelo, Brenda back there, smiling. Um, even as a pastor, I still listen to his messages often on my phone through the podcast. And yesterday he was uh, giving a message in the Advent theme. And as he was getting his congregation prepared to listen 
to this sermon, he was reminding everybody that the Bible is a book about Jesus. And it's something that we can forget, and it's something so tempting, even for us preachers, to focus on something else, to preach about something else other than Jesus, that we're always tempted to make it about us. Now, of course, the Bible does involve us, our response, our sin, our need, but the Bible is first and foremost about Jesus, and I took that as a good reminder yesterday. But today we're talking about peace, and I ask you this morning, what do you think about when you think of peace, especially this time of year? Pastor Jerry quoted it earlier, "'Twas the night before Christmas." I don't know if you think about that being in, uh, I don't know, a cozy sweater and a blanket. But just when you think about these words of Clement Clark Moore, back from 1822, "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. My birthday is St. Nicholas Day, by the way, December 6th. That was intentional by my parents. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Sometimes we think about peace that way, just everything being cozy. Or if we're blessed enough to have a blanket of snow, just how quiet it is, how it blankets everything. Or sometimes we think of a manger scene. We, we see them a lot this time of year. And we think of silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We think about these peaceful themes this time of year. But when I think about a peaceful scene, I think about a peaceful scene interrupted, and I couldn't think of a better example than the movie Home Alone 2. So you've got a Christmas pageant, which we'll be having next Sunday night at 5. Very good. Put a plug in there. All the kids are working hard, and the parents are working hard, too. So there's a scene of the Christmas pageant. And uh, Kevin's mom says, this is Kevin Solo. And, you know, they whisper down the line. And Kevin McAllister starts to sing, and he's singing beautifully, you know, just a kid. He's got the, you know, high-pitched voice, but he's singing very beautifully. And then all of a sudden, Buzz is in the background. He's got these lighted candles, and he's lifting them up, making bunny ears behind his head. And then he's playing the drums. And then everybody starts to laugh, and the parents are mortified. And Kevin finally looks behind him and sees what's happening. He pushes him over. The whole choir falls down like dominoes. The, uh, the big Christmas tree falls on the, the woman playing the piano. And then, uh, as usual, Kevin gets blamed for everything. But this is often more real life for us. We, we imagine and we want a peaceful scene. We want a peaceful life. We come here to church out in the country to a peaceful place, and that's good and that's fine. But it doesn't take long to experience that peace being interrupted like it was at the Christmas pageant in the movie. So this is real life, and Jesus tells us about real life. And this is what he tells us in this verse. 
Uh, and this is my main idea today. Jesus gives us peace in a world of trouble. And because of that, we can courageously follow him. Jesus gives us peace in a world of trouble. And because of that, we can courageously follow him. And we're going to look at three main ideas that Jesus covers in this passage. First is peace. And before I get into explaining it, let me just say something. If you're not a Christian, or if you're curious about Christianity, and perhaps if you're skeptical, you may ask yourself, why should I care about Jesus' words here? Well, first, it's hard to deny that we live in a world where peace is often missing. Like the example I gave, but we look around outside as well as within our own hearts, and we ask ourselves, where is the peace? Instead of peace, we see a lot of trouble. We see Russia at war with Ukraine. We see bitter political strife in our own country. All around us, there's marital strife and broken families. These things are commonplace. And we, when we take it all in, we see and we understand that these things are not the way that they should be. Whether you're a Christian or not, you, you understand that. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be in this world. What we need and what Jesus offers us is real courage. Not courage for courage's sake, to merely be a better person, but he calls us to have courage to follow him. And he calls us to be courageous because of what he has first done for us. Pastor Jerry was just mentioning how we often want to take credit. We often want to be the ones to save the day. But if we're honest, we can't save the day completely. We can't fix all these problems. We can't fix this problem of conflict. And we don't have the peace. And we can't provide the peace for ourselves. But Jesus can. And Jesus promises it. So I encourage you, if you're curious about Christianity, if you're skeptical, listen with an open mind and with an open heart. So peace, the first point. And this is the first part of the verse. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So you may ask yourself, what things? Well, before we can understand the peace that Jesus is talking about, we better understand the context and the situation that Jesus was facing and what the disciples were facing. So we can look back at what he just said to them. So when he says these things, He's really talking about what's called the, the Upper Room Discourse, this section toward the end of the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bible still open, I invite you to look back a few pages. Look back at the beginning of chapter 13. I'm not going to explain all these verses to you all the way through. But even if you look at the section headings, if you're looking at the ESV, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, it starts on page 900. But let me just briefly go through what's happening. So you see at the beginning of chapter 13, it says Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So Jesus humbles himself and washes the disciples' feet. And we could say this much, that it was a little bit troubling for Peter. If you know that story well, 
Jesus at first was not willing for Peter, or Peter was not yet willing at first to let Jesus wash his feet. That was something that was meant for the lowest servant. But Jesus was making a point. He was saying, this example that I have set for you, this I have done for you, this is how you are to operate and serve one another. He says, I'm your Lord and I did this for you. You serve one another. And finer, and you know, Peter eventually lets him do it. But then the next section, verse 21, one of you will betray me. We know this is Judas. And if you could put yourself in a situation with the disciples, this would be more than a little troubling. Because one of those who have been following Jesus for the past three years is going to betray him. And none of them automatically said, oh, Judas, of course. No, John leans over and says, who is it, Lord? And Jesus says, the one that I dip the morsel in the dish and give it to him, that's the one. So that was certainly troubling. A new commandment, Jesus says, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Ultimately, by the way that he laid down his life. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Again, that was probably pretty troubling. Peter thought that he was going to stand with Jesus no matter what. And Jesus gives him the sober truth that no, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But he keeps going. He, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. This was certainly comforting to them, even though they were somewhat confused about it. He's saying that he is, he is God, he is the truth, he is the way to God, he is God. And then in chapter 15, where it says, I am the true vine, Jesus says, oh, actually, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. That's the end of 14. This is also comforting. Even though Jesus is going away, he's going to send the Spirit to be with them forever, that they would bear much fruit. And then later Jesus says, abide in me. This is chapter 15. Uh, abide in me. If, if uh, you abide in me and I abide in you, ask whatever you wish. I'll give you these things. I'll cause you to bear fruit. Uh, we learn more next about the hatred of the world. This is probably not comforting. Although in a way... It was because Jesus was saying, hey, this is what the world did to me, but it's going to do the same thing to you because you belong to me. And then he speaks more about the work of the Holy Spirit and how he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. This should have been comforting because the Holy Spirit was the one who would do the work. And God was simply um, having the disciples do and be faithful to what he had called them to do. Uh, your sorrow will turn into joy. This was comforting. Jesus says, you will see me again. And then we get to the part here. I have overcome the world. And then his high priestly prayer in chapter 17. So that's a little bit of context. These are the words that would be a comfort to the disciples if they were paying attention and that they were willing to trust their Lord. But this word peace can describe either a set of favorable circumstances involving peace and tranquility 
This is more the external side of peace. This is the peace that we often think about when we, I don't know, we think about a cozy situation or we think about a cozy, comfortable relationship. So that's the external side, but the internal side is this state of freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The state of freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. So that first one is external, the second is internal. And here in John 16, 33, Jesus is, speak, is speaking of the internal. If we're familiar with our Bibles, we see that peace, that word peace is used synonymously with salvation throughout the Bible. One example is Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So we see that peace is used as another word for the salvation that the Messiah brings, the kingdom that he brings. And then even in the New Testament, in Acts 10.36, it says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So it's another word for salvation. So peace is prominent in all these predictions, all these foreshadowings of the Messiah. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus bringing this peace to his people. So what is this peace in Jesus? Eli quoted it for us, but here again is John 14, 27, how Jesus is the source of our peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A preacher of old that I like, James Montgomery Boyce, said, this is the meaning of the Christian's peace. It is not an absence of conflict or any other kind of trial or disappointment. Rather, it is contentment and trust in God in spite of the circumstances. Jesus says, as long as you're in this world, you're going to experience trouble. We're going to learn more about that in a second. But he says, even in the midst of trouble, we can have peace. I even think of that verse in Romans chapter 12. As far as it depends on you, as much as possible, be at peace with everybody. But we're not always at peace with everybody. He says, as far as it's possible. But... We can have that internal peace, Jesus says. We can have peace even when things outside of us look out of control. Some of us want to get our inner peace from the external. Some of us are simply looking to fix our circumstances. You know, if I only had a little bit more money, if I only had this relationship, if I only had, I don't know, better grades or something, that that would bring us peace. But Jesus says here, you need it first on the inside. So I ask you this morning, are you looking for peace this Christmas season? That's probably true for all of us. But are you looking to Jesus for peace this Christmas season? Are you looking in the right place? This reminded me of the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. 
Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. She was looking to Jesus. She was waiting upon him. Yes, there was work to be done. And Martha was trying to get Jesus to uh, get her to help her. But looking to him and the peace that she received by waiting upon him, listening to him, is profound. And it's the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here. And again, I ask you, are you looking to him for peace? Many of us in this room know the answers. We know, of course, yes, we look to Jesus for peace. But are we doing it? Are we consumed by trying to make everything fit and go our own way? Or go the way that we think that things should go? Are we looking to Jesus for this inner peace? Or are we trying to fix our situation? That if I could just fix this thing, that I could, if I could just get, I don't know, this, this healthy, happy life, then I'll be at peace. And that is more worldly thinking. That we would get our peace from the external before we first get it internally. So we have this peace in Jesus, but we are in a world of trouble. Trouble is the second point. So in the verse it says, in the world you will have tribulation. One thing I love is that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things, does he? He leads us to face the situation as it is, no matter how dire. Again, we have a whole host of preachers who teach about Christianity in such a way, I would say a, a, a twisted version of Christianity that would say, if you follow Jesus, everything in your life is going to go well. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be rich. If you follow Jesus, all of your dreams are going to come true. If you follow Jesus, everything is going to go right. And for everybody else where things are going wrong, they just don't trust Jesus enough. And I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word and based on what Jesus just said to us, that is simply not true. That is not real Christianity. And some of us get down and confused and discouraged because we begin to follow Jesus and then things happen to us just like they do to the rest of the world. Our friends get sick. We get sick. The job doesn't go the way that we expected it would go. Marriage, even Christian marriage, is not perfect. And, and then we have something to, to try to reconcile. Is this version of Christianity that I heard, which we often call the prosperity gospel, is this true or uh, we might think, is there something wrong with my faith? But here Jesus tells us the truth about our lives and that this is a world of trouble. Kids, or adults, think back to your childhood. Did your mom or your dad ever say to you, you're in a world of trouble? 
you can respond, that's right, that's what the Bible says. Uh, but it's true, it's what Jesus tells us. He doesn't sugarcoat it, and he says, this is a world of trouble. So what is the world that he speaks of? Well, this word for world, you've probably heard it before, even if you don't know Greek, cosmos, where we get the word cosmology, stuff like that. This word is used in different ways, uh, but here it's specifically used to talk about the world and everything that belongs to it as it appears that which is hostile to God. Not just appears, but is. So the world as it is lost in sin, wholly at odds with anything divine, ruined and depraved. So we, we live in this physical world we're physical beings, we're body and soul, and we look around, obviously things aren't as bad as they could be. We've got sunshine, we probably have some food in our stomachs, and um, we might say, yes, things are bad out there, but not as bad as they could possibly be. But this world, it's a worldly thinking and a worldly system that follows our first parent, Adam. Adam's viewpoint in the garden was, I want the good life, but apart from God. I want God's blessings. I want peace, even, but I want it on my own terms, not under submission to the God who made me. And you can do this in a million ways. You can do this by, uh, in a way, trying to earn your own salvation by trying to say I'm a, a good person and I'm so good and I'm not as bad as these other people over here, surely if there is a heaven above and there's a God above, then surely I've done enough good and haven't done that much bad that God wouldn't accept me into his heaven. That's worldly thinking. That's thinking of the world that ignores God's revelation and more so, it ignores our accountability to God. God made you, and you are in a relationship with him, whether you like it or not. I've often said it, everybody has a relationship with God, but not everybody has a good one. And he is the one with whom we have to do. And this world is a world of tribulation. Because by itself, it doesn't want to follow God's way. It wants to have peace on its own terms, living for self apart from God. Jesus spoke about it in John 8, 23. He said, you are from below, speaking of, of the Pharisees, the ones who were opposing him. He says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Or John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, Jesus isn't saying, go around, hate everything, and muttering around and being angry all the time. He's saying, in comparison to following me, trusting me, even if it means laying down your life, even if it means missing out on something, even if it means in the eyes of the world that you're not living the full potential life. He says, in me, you have the full life. 
So this trouble that Jesus talks about, it's pressure, it's compression. I think of the blood pressure cuff at the pharmacy that I used to play around with as a kid and still experience when I go to the doctor. Uh, you know, but I always think about that machine. You sit down and you know, you're waiting for your mom or your dad to get the prescription and you sit down and put your arm in there. And like when I was a kid, my arm wasn't, that, wasn't big enough, so it would just keep squeezing and squeezing, and then it wouldn't work right. But you would think it's just going to squeeze your arm right off. But this is a good image of the pressure that we face in this world. Yes, God's grace is here, his common grace that is given to all, his special saving grace that all of his people have through faith in Christ. But yet this pressure is coming in on us. It's difficult. This is not an easy life. This is trouble that we face in the world. It's trouble that Jesus faced himself. I think about the temptation in the wilderness. He's hungry, he's thirsty, and the tempter is saying, make these stones become bread. You're the son of God, aren't you? But each step of the way, he follows God. He, fathers, he follows his father's will. He faces temptation, he faces persecution, even before he went to the cross, he's got people around him trying to trip him up, supposedly the religious leaders, supposedly the ones who had authority, and certainly in his trial and in his crucifixion, he faced these temptations. It was what the world brought against him, this world of unbelief that could not accept that Jesus was the Son of God and that everyone needs to submit to him and trust in him and be saved through him. And his followers would experience the same thing. In the immediate future, they were about to deny him. Remember, Jesus said, you're all going to go away from me and leave me alone. But he says, I'm not alone. But they were going to fail. But Jesus was preparing the way for them to succeed and succeed in him. So take comfort at that, even if you fail, even if you've made a mess, even if you haven't lived the life as a Christian that you know that you should have lived. Jesus gives us his words so that we can acknowledge the failure, that we could acknowledge the sin and that there is a hope and a future for you and for me. But I think about Paul's testimony of serving Christ in a world of trouble from 2 Corinthians. Think about what he experienced, imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I think the Navy SEALs experienced that kind of stuff, right, from what I've heard. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
This is why Paul was having to write 2 Corinthians, wasn't it? He was trying to say that this is the real Christian life. The Corinthians were tempted to believe that Paul wasn't all that he said he was because he experienced difficulty, because he experienced tribulation. So again, when you face these things, some of you I know are facing difficulties and sorrows right now. Uh, a friend of mine that I went to college with, who was my dorm mate and my roommate uh, the year before, person I got married, he was a pastor down in Chattanooga. He, he died this week of cancer, just a little bit older than me. And uh, I invite you to join with me in praying for his wife and two daughters. But this is a world of suffering. Uh, a congregation is mourning the death of their pastor. And it's, it's difficult. But his wife and his daughters and friends, like me, trust in God's faithfulness, trust in God's goodness, trust that this is not the end. That there is something to look forward to and that there is a purpose in it, even though we don't see it fully in this life. So we've been reminded that our peace is in Jesus and in his word and that we live in a world of trouble. What then is Jesus' call to you and to me? It's courage. It's our third point, courage. The end of the verse. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a command, brothers and sisters. Some of us think we have to feel this courage in order to do it. We might even think about the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. He only had courage. We want that, but Jesus is commanding it, and if he commands it, then he will give what he commands. He will supply what he commands. But what does this word mean? It means to be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances. This is really where our faith, where the rubber meets the road for our faith, isn't it? Whether we're experiencing something right now or it's the fear of what will happen, the question we ask in our hearts is, will I have the courage to persevere? Will I have the courage to stand or sit or endure whatever procedure is coming? Will I have the strength to endure the loss of a loved one? What will happen to me then? Will God still be with me then? And Jesus says, take heart. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Be of good courage, be of good cheer. This is why it's so beautiful as Christians we can sing together, no matter how things are going. Yes, we do have psalms and we do have songs that express sadness and express lament and difficulty, but we can still sing. We sing to God, the God who holds our hearts and our tears and everything that we experience. We sing together, and when we get choked up and we're not able to sing, our brothers and sisters around us are able to carry on the song. That's why it's important to sing. Not, uh, not optional. Um, Jesus stayed the course amidst all that hell contrived against him. Again, everything that would keep us from knowing God and being at peace with him, Jesus took it upon himself. He took it and says, and said that I will go through it. I will experience the worst 
so that you would not be alone forever, so that you would not suffer forever. Jesus' victory assures us that we will persevere through all that hell will bring against us. Whether it's coming from outside of us, an, an external temptation, whether it's coming from within, our desire to, to fulfill simple desires apart from his will. Some of you, the main thing today is to be encouraged and to find the courage to, to face that sin again. Maybe that sin that you've struggled with over and over for many years perhaps in your life and you think to yourself, maybe Satan is whispering this to you, there's no hope, you're never gonna change. And you know what, you may have not even changed at all because you still do this thing. I'm here to say on the authority of God's word that Jesus forgives you. And no matter how long it's been, he says right here, take heart, be courageous, trust me again to face that thing. You may not make as much progress in this life as you believe that you should, but as you look to Jesus by faith, you will make progress. He will help you. He will forgive you. And what he really wants is for us to depend on him. Some of us have been trying to fight our sin in our own strength. And that's why we've been failing. That's why we've been struggling. And we have not in humility come before Jesus and said, take this from me. Help me. Forgive me. Cleanse my conscience. Give me peace inside. And give me courage to face this world of trouble. The trouble in my own heart. Whatever it is. We sang the words, a mighty fortress is our God on Reformation Day. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Satan's words seem so big. His accusations. But Jesus' words are bigger and stronger. But we've got to trust in him. So as, as we prepare to take, to move to the Lord's table, I'm going to ask those who are going to help the officers to come forward. The Lord's Supper is the nourishment that you and I need to live in this world of trouble. To experience his peace. As you've heard his word this morning, we get to eat his word by faith. We get to taste it and touch it and by faith feed upon Jesus, our Savior, and nourish ourselves on his strength and find the courage to take heart in his victory, his perfect life, his sacrificial death for you and for me and his resurrection, assuring us that this life is not the end and that there is victory. This meal is for those who trust in Jesus. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus, I invite you at this time to pray, to look to him, to ask yourself, what is holding me back? And with God's help, to put your trust in Jesus. If you haven't trusted in him, I invite you to do that now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I repent. I turn from those things and I look to you, Jesus, as my righteousness. Forgive me and give me a place with you in heaven forever.
But for those of us who, who struggle, even as Christians, this is a meal for you to be strengthened and to be nourished in your faith. So let's pray together as we um, prepare to partake. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would set aside, we set aside these elements for a holy use to enjoy and to uh, feast upon you on your strength. So we ask that you use these things for this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. First, we're going to distribute the bread. It's going to be distributed to you, and let's all, we'll partake together when we're all, uh, when it's all been distributed. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples as I ministering in his name give to you this bread and say, take and eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake together. Once again, we're going to distribute the drink and we'll all partake together. Jesus also took the cup and having given thanks, he gave it to the disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray once again. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you nourish us and make us into the people that you've called us to be, uh, courageous, faithful, humble, living for you and following you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I give the benediction, I want to remind everybody that we do have cake downstairs. Sorry I didn't leave us a whole lot of time. Maybe the Sunday school classes uh, will start a little bit later than normal. I give you permission as one of the teachers. Now receive this blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.